it's a good day. We're uh, packed full of a lot of amazing things. Uh, you know, end times, baptisms, dedications, you know, it's all kind of good, you know, normal Sunday, really. Um, we began uh, this, this kind of this, this ending couple chapters of Matthew last week, and I, and I challenged you last week that when we, when we start talking about, and I use the word eschatology, which is the study of the end, and it's what the church is predominantly used as what we're going to talk about, whether it's Jesus' second coming or what's going to happen in the end of age or the, the other words that come in that, and so... We've been kind of digging through Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start this week. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. If you don't, just slip up your hands and the ushers will pass one. But last week, I, I challenged you before we dove in, I kind of did a broad overview. I said that if we're going to dig into this and we're going to study this, we have to kind of prepare our hearts to do this in a, in a healthy way because so often it, there's so much chaos and so much turmoil about what it really means for Jesus to come back and what, what, what our life is to look like in, in light of second coming. And and this specific set of scripture, it's called the, the Olivet Discourse. It's this sermon that Jesus has with just his disciples prior to death, but post kind of the, the onslaught of all the religious leaders. This sermon, these two chapters are so heavily debated. In fact, you can almost find, in this section alone, you can almost find every single belief, every single ism that people believe about end times in these two chapters. You can figure out how, they, how, they, how one person will lead with this and say this is what this means, or another will say this is what this means. And so it's kind of messy. But last week I challenged you to not allow this kind of subject or this kind of, this kind of topic to, to, to bring about fear. So that we're not really meant to live in fear. We're called to fear God, and that's it. And I said that we also have to be careful not to fixate ourselves on it. We can't just spend all our time fixated on what the end times look like because we may forget to actually be present and live the way that God calls us to today. And then the last one was this, was a great alliteration. I was so proud of myself. I haven't used it in forever. It was false. The idea that we just kind of move around like Jesus isn't really coming back. We live our life as if it doesn't really matter. And, and, and all of those are wrong. And I encourage us that, that, that as we study this, we need to be spiritually alert. We need to, we need to have an urgency about mission with our family members and friends. We need to be able to, to, to forgive because we know that ultimately God is coming back. And that in, in the end, in this dark, broken, disgusting, nasty world, we have hope because we know that Jesus has not finished what he's already started. And we know he's coming back. And so as I, as I challenge you guys with that, we're going to dig into it this week. So chapter 24, moving um, right at the beginning, very first one. We're going to go back to that. Again, they just left the, the Temple Mount, Jesus had just finished his woes to all the religious leaders, and they're working their way out of the Eastern Gate, down the Kidron Valley, the, the, the west side of the um, Kidron Valley, over to the Mount of Olives where they'd spent some time. And so this is where they're at right now. They're headed in that section. And Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Now to us, this doesn't seem to make much sense necessarily, but if you remember, if you're, if you're at everything in Jerusalem, is going up to the temple. The temple is on a mount, it's up high, so everything around it is coming up to it. You have to get to a, a totally different mountaintop to kind of look at it. And in Jesus' day, that was even, it was even further because it hadn't been leveled a few times and kept being built on. So in Jesus' day, that, that, that valley was deeper. And so when you're walking away and you see a building that is massive with stones that are so huge. And for us, we, it's like maybe walking down and seeing the cranes out. You're like, man, that's pretty insane. That's, that's, that's crazy how they do that without dropping something on someone. It's pretty impressive. 
Well, in their day, they didn't have all the motors and all the other stuff. And you see this temple mount, this temple, and these huge stones that are there. Some of them are, are covering gold so that when the sun, sun hits it, it literally blinds you when it's backing off of it. So it's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful temple. And so it seems as if passing, the, the disciples are, are recognizing it. They're, they're saying it. Now, some will say in this section that the disciples are trying to, to maybe push on this subject of, you know, Jesus just talked about this idea of the destruction of the temple when he was, he was combating the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So maybe they were kind of trying to, like, toss it out there and be like, all right, Jesus, what's happening here? But either way, they're making notice of this grand temple. And it's kind of like, I feel like, you know, have you ever had someone, I don't know, like where I've, sometime you're like, I was driving with, my, with a friend, I want to use his name, and I was like, oh man, those windmills are awesome. There's this big, huge windmill. And then they started on, well, you know, they aren't as efficient as they say they are. And it turned into this big, like, like kind of onslaught, like how dare you think that thing is beautiful? I kind of feel like that's what Jesus is doing to his disciples right here. Like, oh guys, you realize, like this is all going to go away, Right? He's kind, of, he's kind of Jesus juking him because he is the original Jesus, right? He, he goes serious. Either way, he, he hits him. He says, they pointed out, but he answered them. You see all these? Do you not? You see, you see this temple? You see everything here? Truly, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Pause for a second. Now, that very statement right there, that very statement around the temple being destroyed is where you can navigate yourself a number of different directions when it comes to what you believe in the end times. Okay, that very statement. But what he was saying to a Jew in Jesus' day was astronomical. To assume that the temple would be destroyed, that every stone would be on top of every stone, was, was ridiculous. It wasn't even something that they would have pictured as really happening. In fact, it was just as ludicrous to the, the Jews before 587 BC when, when Babylon destroyed it then, Solomon's temple. Like, this, this, there's no way it'll be destroyed. And so every single person, even the disciples walking with Jesus, are like, oh, okay, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be crushed. Interesting. Okay. And so then he, it says that that's kind of the end of that discussion. And as he sits down on, on the, on the on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and it, it tells us that four of the disciples came to him. It says, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Now, it seems like three questions there, but it's really just two questions. When is that temple going to fall down? And when, 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 is the, when are you coming back in the close of the age? What we lose in our English translation is that that in Greek is one statement. Jesus' second coming and the signs of the age is one statement. It's not like a this and this. It's these go together. They happen at the same time. And most Jews in Jesus' day associated the temple destruction, Jesus, uh, the Messiah's coming, and the signs of the age all in one fly swoop. And so it's obvious for those to just come together. And so they ask him two questions. And I think that's what gets us in trouble. Because as you look at the rest of this chapter and next chapter is Jesus's response to those two questions. And what we have to navigate through is that we look at this is, okay, what, what specifically is Jesus answering that is the temple destruction? What specifically is the signs of him coming? And what specifically is him coming back in general? What, what, what are the timelines in that? And that's where it's clear as mud. That's where it's just, it's just a mess. And again, whatever ism or ists or whatever belief you hold in your end times, you'll read this kind of those ways. And now here's what I want to be really clear about. 
couple things that, that we need to understand in this section. First off, I think there's some validity to most of the end time beliefs. I, I really do. Like, I think there's some validity to every single verse. Now, some I feel like are stretching a little bit further than others, but in the grand scheme of things, if you take this and you tie it with Revelation and some of the other um, end time uh, scripture that we have throughout the New Testament alone or the Old Testament as well, you, you kind of have to connect some dots because there's just some things we don't understand. It's not that God is confusing. It's that we're confused to try and understand our creator. So it's not that we are, it's not that he has made it purposely like difficult for us to understand. It's just there are things that we can't wrap our minds around. But that being said, I feel like there's some, some truth to all these beliefs. So if you're sitting next to someone right now and you're, you're first, like before you even get a drink of water for lunch, your first question is, well, which ism are you? And you realize very quickly that you guys are in different spots. Like it doesn't need to be a war, okay? It doesn't need to be this massive fight. And I think because of well-meaning people that have sat in my position that have tried to bring about clarity to Jesus' words to understand how they play out in our life, I feel like some of what Jesus is trying to say gets lost in this. Some of what's trying to, what he's trying to say to us and to encourage us and to challenge us with gets lost in the studies of the end time. So I'll, I'll move on here for a second. So he, they ask him these questions, and Jesus answers them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to a tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so I kind of feel like my first glance at this, reading this, is like, Jesus, you could have maybe formulated your answer a little bit clearer for us. I really would have loved if you just kind of like said, okay, as per your first question, what I'm going to say is this, and per your second question, what I'm going to say is this, but he just kind of goes through this onslaught of stuff. Now, if you and I were really honest, be honest with me, have we had earthquakes in this world today? Have we had famines? Have we had rumors of war? Have we had wars? Since Jesus said these words, we have seen all of these things happen. So how do you and I reconcile that? How do we reconcile that? Because some theologians would say, well, the idea of birth pains is, well, if you've ever given birth, I haven't, I've seen it, it's horrific. It's beautiful, but it's horrific, right? But if you've ever given birth, there's a beginning and an end, and it, it doesn't hopefully last too long. Some of you moms in here are like, I'm going to punch you for that statement, Bren, right? Because it, looked, it took way too long. But either way, there's a, there's a beginning and an end. So some theologians say, well, then we haven't experienced any of this because we'll know this beginning and this end. But what happens is, is, is in this setting, I think as we try and navigate what Jesus is answering, is he speaking to when the temple falls? Is he speaking to when he comes back? Again, he hasn't even died or resurrected yet. So the disciples asking this question, when we understand fully that they really didn't get the whole idea of resurrection, so them asking this question, they have their own lens that they're looking through as they ask this question. And Jesus being Jesus and us not, 
He's answering that lens. He's trying to deal with that belief, similar in the same way he was doing it with the religious leaders. He's turning things upside down, saying, you, you have this belief, but you're just off. And so he starts talking about all these horrific things that are going to happen in this world, and it's just the beginning. And then he goes on and says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation, to hard, hard stuff, and put you to death, and you'll be hated by nations for my namesake. Well, the individuals he's talking to, almost every single one of them were martyred for Christ's name. Almost every single one of those people right there were killed for Jesus' name. They were attacked, and they were, they were, they were persecuted, and they were affected. So, so what is he talking about? Well, we're going to spend a lot of time, more time, next week on the temple, okay? And we're going to talk about a little bit of the timing in this stuff. But initially what I want you guys to, to, to look at and what I want us to take out of this scripture is, is a few things. One is that one thing that we can be absolutely confident of is that, is that to God, time is very different than us, right? I mean, and we know it. We've already been kind of wrestling with ourselves on how much energy we put into this short little time we're here on earth when we have an eternity to think about. But time is, is, is very different for him than it does us. And so that's the first thing we can understand. The second thing we can understand is that Jesus says after resurrection, just before he ascends into heaven, he says, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And he ascends into heaven. And so we have to reconcile the idea that, that Jesus right now for you and I today all authority is his. Now, that doesn't make sense because we see so much brokenness and destruction and we're, what, is, what is happening? Well, we have to reconcile that with another truth that God is patient. In fact, if you just spend a little bit of time reading about the, the, the nation of Israel and start in the Old Testament and work your way all the way up to the New Testament, what do you see? You see the patience of, patience of God transcend everything we see a number of things happen to the nation of Israel. We see persecution, we see destruction, we see freed, <laughs> see destruction, we see freed, we see destruction, we see freed, we see this over and over and over again. So one of the, the, the beliefs that I want all of us to do is since none of us are really kind of identifying ourselves with the nation of Israel very much, but we would probably most of us say we're American, right? America, right? Do you guys realize that, that America could fall tomorrow and that may not mean anything for the end times? Just, just think about that for a second. You realize like tomorrow the entire nation of America, finances and everything and freedom could go away. And that may mean nothing in regards to the end times. We have to, we have to understand that because if you look through the history that we have of the nation of Israel, we've seen that happen time and time again. We've seen God's patience come into God's judgment. We've seen people lead themselves astray. We've seen people being led astray. We've seen people make poor choices, and finally God says, I'm done here. Not, you know what I'm saying, but <laughs> not I'm done. He obviously wasn't done. He was, he was finished through Christ. But it hasn't been finished for us. And so a couple beliefs that we have to kind of weave back if we're going to dig into this stuff and hear what we, I think God really wants us to hear out of this. First off is that America doesn't mean that we are like safe. It, may, it does now. But if we lose that freedom and we lose that right and, and the wrong person gets elected and every single person here disagrees on which one the wrong person is, right? That's easy. It doesn't mean that the end is near because Jesus tells us that there's going to be wars and famines and earthquakes and all those things and oh, but the end's not yet. But the end's not yet. But he says, 
two statements, three statements. He says about four times in this text. I don't know if you picked up on it, but what was his biggest concern with his disciples in answering this question? It's the very first sentence. Come on. It's got to feel somewhat like class. We're going to talk about this stuff. I get it. Do not be led astray. Do not be led astray. He says that a number of times, and then he brings up, hey, prophets will rise up and will lead many astray, and, and this person will rise up and lead many astray, and this will happen and lead many astray, and, and really what comes out of the first of his answering this, and he's going to get into some real clear kind of pictures of what this will look like, and we'll have to d- d- define literal or metaphorical, or we'll have to work through that stuff, and we will, but the biggest concern out of Jesus isn't the answer to win, it's don't be led astray. And it would be obvious for us to say, okay, well then, when it comes to the study of the end, when it comes to studying what it means for Jesus coming back, which we know he's coming back, every single person believes that, that believes in Jesus, there is a agreement on the fact that Jesus is coming back. Now how and when and what that looks like, that's where everyone veers drastically. But Jesus is coming back. He has authority Now, I don't understand how that authority plays out, but I think it's similar to the idea that when Jesus was on earth, he he became fully man and and, and limited himself. His his power, his divine power was limited to fulfill God's will. Right now, Jesus is on the throne. And we believe that. But yet we get in the middle of all this, we're like, well, I don't know how that plays out. And I think ultimately what Jesus' biggest concern in this whole beginning section is, don't be led astray. The Apostle John, who asked this, he, 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 he hits this in 1 John in a very big way where he says there are many of us that will leave of us. There are many that will leave us. But then he goes and says, but they were never of us. They were around us. And so what I wanted to do is, first off, apply this to where I think it makes perfect sense. When it comes to your study of the end times, do not be led astray. That's Jesus' first statement in answering that very question. So if in your prayer time, in your studies, like, God, I want to know when, or I want to know why, or how do I, what are the signs of this? Don't be led astray. And the only way to really guarantee that we're not led astray is, is kind of threefold. One is, is being in God's word, being, being irritably, annoyingly close with community. You have to be, I mean, I say irritable because you have to be willing to sit next to someone that's going to disagree with you and still seek unity in Christ. And that may be counterculture to a lot of us because we're so in and out of everything. We just kind of, oh, I don't have to be here. I can be there. I can be wherever. But, but if you're, you're not going to be led astray, you need people around you that are going to say, whoa, whoa, Bren, that doesn't look right. That's not, that's not great. Danny, one of my really good friends here, Schaefer, he, him and I talk on a fairly regular basis where I can call him and say, hey, I'm thinking this. Is this, is this healthy or unhealthy? And he'd be like, dude, that's so unhealthy. Stop it. That's not right. Or here's, here's what I think you should do. I can ask him to pray for me in this so that when I start going a direction, he can pose a question. Are you sure that's what you believe? You really think that's it? And he can pose that question because I respect him and I love him and I know that we are, we are in this together and we're unified. I can go, okay, he's asking that question for a good reason. I need to be hearing it. So do not be led astray. You need to be in God's word. If you are like, man, I don't even know what half of this book says which, I mean, join the club. It's really hard to understand, right? <laughs> but if you don't know it because you're not spending any time in God's word, you are, a, you are a prime candidate for being led astray. If you don't have healthy people around you that can speak into you, 
without you getting hostile or defensive or just ignoring, then you are in a prime spot to be led astray. And the third, the third is very simple. Be obedient to God's word. I can't tell you how many times people are making very, very poor decisions. I have conversations all the time where I'm sitting with people talking to them, like, you're going to make this decision even though you know it's direct disobedience to what God has called you to do, and you're okay with it? Well, you can only make so many of those decisions before you realize, like, you've made a lot of really bad decisions. And here's the unique thing about being led astray. So end times, don't be led astray. Now, I want to talk about being led astray in general because my fear is my assumption is that all of us at one point or another are prone to be led astray in something. I mean led astray, meaning we are prone to be led from the God we claim to believe, the God we say we're surrendered to. We are prone to be led from that. Here's the thing about being led astray. It's not something like you wake up in the morning going, oh man, I'm really being led astray today. Like, you know what? Like, it's just happening. I can't believe it. No, what always happens to be led astray is you look back at a point and go, whoa, 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 how did I hear? Or friends around you go, I don't know what happened to them. They're there now. And you and I, we all have friends and family and, and ourselves and stories of people. We're like, how did you get from here to here? We all have that. Now, what I wanted to do is ask a couple questions about this first. If you've ever played sports, okay, if you've ever played any kind of competitive game at all, one of the, the tactics of a good team or a good athlete is to understand the weaknesses of the other team. That's common sense. You see it in, in football, it's like, keep throwing to that guy. He stinks. You know, like, this is, they're never going to stop the other guy over there. A common tactic is to keep pushing where the weakness is. Well, here's the thing. I don't know where you are on this, but the Bible teaches that in this time, since Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, in this time that the enemy is on prowl in this world trying to deceit trying to lead us astray, trying to conquer, trying to defeat us, to destroy us, to kill us. Well, if I'm the enemy, which I'm not, okay, but if I am and I was using just simple tactics of, of any kind of athletic game or warfare or anything, I'm going to attack where, it's, where you're weak. I'm going to push in that spot where you continually cave. And the reason why I bring that up is that most of us, whether it's relationships or alcohol, whatever, whatever it is, if there's something that you continually find yourself weak in and continually find yourself doing what you know you don't want to do, you're, you're weak in that spot. Well, if you continue to cave in that, the, the risk is that you can be led astray. Now, when Jesus talks about being led astray and the many being led astray, I think it's, we have to understand that there is being led astray, meaning that they have been led to believe something drastically different than Jesus is Lord. And for those of you that have surrendered your life to Jesus, that's not you. Jesus' promise is that he keeps his own. You can be making some very poor choices. You can be walking a very, very dangerous path that are going to bring about immense consequences. But if you are truly surrendered to Christ, you won't be led astray. I mean, you won't, be, you won't be gone. You're his. But equally just as true... Jesus says that many will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I do not know you. So what we have to understand is that there's this, there's this, there's this battle going on for us, for our family, for our friends, for everything, and, and ultimately the, the goal is deceit. The end game is deceit, to lead astray, to lead to a belief where you can go, okay, 
I don't know what I believe in this, but I, I can't reconcile this whole like temple and times. And I started studying. It's just way too confusing. I feel like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of err to the critics. You know what the critics say about Matthew 24 and 25? Jesus was wrong. Well, obviously he was wrong. He didn't know what he was talking about, so he must have been wrong. That's, that's the cri- criticism to this, and that's what I think has pushed a lot of scholars into trying to answer it. And we start trying to answer and look in these things, and well, then maybe it's this way, maybe it's this way. And we're kind of moving in fear trying to answer a critic when, when we know in our heart, heart Jesus isn't wrong. He's Lord. But my fear is, is that there's a number of us in here today that we got the walk down, we got the talk down, Man, we, we are good at convincing the people that are close to us. But really, we are just wandering astray. Our life is not surrendered to Christ. And we, we, keep, we keep saying we want that. And we keep thinking we want that. But then when it comes down to the rubber meat in the road, we go, you know, that just seems really hard. I'm just going to do this this time. Like, I, I know what God's calling me to do, but I just would much rather do this right now. That's a scary spot. And that's the very first thing Jesus says. And he says it over and over again. In fact, he says that some will come and say, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. So in case you're wondering, the person or the persons or the people that play this role are going to be so convincing that many people are going to go, well, that must be him. They're going to start following him. And they're going to be led into believing that that's him. It's not going to be something like, wow, that's obvious. I mean, he's in a clown suit. It's, it's duh. It's not him, right? Like, it's not going to be one of those things where you can see the, like, you know, computer graphics of, like, 1991 being like, okay, obviously that didn't really blow up. You know, like, it's not, it's not that obvious to us. It's, it's going to be something that looks very, very, very close. And if you're not grounded in the word, if you're not irritably, annoyingly close to other believers that can push and encourage and admonish and rebuke. If you're not in that spot, if you're not walking in a spot where your life is, is, is continually dying to yourself in obedience, God, lead me in a way in this, you're, you're in a very dangerous spot to be led astray. And, and I think really, one scholar said it this way, I thought it was really great, is if, if this ramps up and whatever you believe about tribulation and time or how, how hard it gets, if it gets really, really ugly, Honestly, like, if the end times were out of this altogether and America turned tomorrow, I wonder just how many people would still claim the faith in Christ. If you lost all your money, you lost your freedoms, how many, how many of us could say we would still stand strong in that? Or would we be like, well, I mean, I'll believe, but I'm gonna believe, kind of, I'm gonna do the underground thing like China has for a long time. I'm just gonna go right to that. I wouldn't. What does it mean to be standing firm in your faith? And that's, I think, what is most important to Jesus in this. Is it's not when he answers really quickly, that just in case you're wondering, like Cliff Notes version, Jesus doesn't know when. Only the Father knows when he's coming again. It's not about when or specifically how it goes about what's going to happen in in Israel today or not, and how is it going to play out, and how much earthquakes are there, and wars, and famines, and all these things that are happening, like specifically which end of one of those things. In all of that, he's saying, don't be led astray. And he ends it in verse 14. And he says, the gospel is going to go out. The gospel is going to go out to all nations. The good news is the kingdom is going to go out into all nations. And, And now, 
depending upon your, your bent of belief in this, some would say that that hasn't happened yet. Some would say that the gospel is not saturated or reached out to a number of, of, of all the nations, and therefore God is still patiently waiting for, for the gospel to reach every single tongue and every single tribe, and some would say that that's in place. Some would also say that the, 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 the 11 people that are sitting around at Jesus that moment, seeing 3,000 plus Gentiles and not just Jews coming to faith was the, the affirmation of this too, so that depends on where you stand in your belief. But either way, Jesus is telling us that the gospel will make it to every nation. Every nation of Israel, of Jews, every nation in the world, the gospel is going to go. It's going to make its way through everything. And so what we have to fixate ourselves on is the good news, is that Christ is in charge, in, in control, and is ultimately that we have a viable risk not meaning we need to have fear in this, but we should be adamant about not letting ourselves be led astray. Again, it's, it's super passive. You're not going to all of a sudden go, oh, I'm totally being led astray. Oh, well, let's keep going. You know, if you realize you're being led astray, you, you turn. And so that means for us today, I think what we are, we're called to do, what Jesus is, is, is pushing on us for a thousand, couple thousand years later, still waiting like somewhat impatiently, Jesus return, please. Calling us to say, don't be led astray. Don't give in to false doctrine. Don't use my name to excuse disobedience to my word. And then maybe he goes one step further and he says, hey, Bren, hey, Hughes, fill in your name. Surrender everything to me. And then you have no fear. When it's all mine, you have no fear of it going away. If, you're, if your money's mine, you're not going to be led astray there. If your time's mine, don't worry, you're not going to be led astray there. You may struggle and wrestle, and it's going to be a continuous battle, but you're not going to be led astray there. You finally say, I'm, I'm, I'm done going through the motions. I'm done being this person that, that, that says one thing and does another thing. This is like at the root of authenticity. That's why I love that we're doing dedications and baptisms today. It seems so fitting to me for a family to say, look, this is, this is what we're about. For someone to get done and say, I am, I am following Jesus and I want to proclaim that to all of you. And we can celebrate that. But Jesus' command is, don't be led astray. And so my, my question for you is, as the, as the band comes up, we'll pray. My question for you is, if you were on the opposing team of your life and you were trying to pick apart how to beat that team, what weaknesses would you exploit? Would you go at it from this angle or that angle? My, my bet is if you're really honest, and if we're all honest, I'm, if I'm honest, I know where it's going to happen. In fact, I see it almost every week. We're like, oh, there it is again. I, I wrestled this last week, there was this massive amount of self-righteousness, people. It was ugly. And I had to have people like kind of talk me off the ledge of my own self-righteousness. And it's like, oh, God, redeem that in me. Finish that in me, please. If I'm the enemy, I'm going to give me all kinds of opportunities to stand in a right spot, right? I'll be right, dang it. And I'm going to start fueling that self-righteousness. And pretty soon, I'm, I'm, I'm being led astray into a spot that makes no sense. Now, I can take peace and take heart knowing that I will never be led out of the hands of my Lord. 
which you can too. But I definitely, to take the whole athletic thing a little bit further and some of you are like, oh, it's so annoying, whatever. Like, I definitely want to be, I want to be in the game. I want to be, I want to be on, on purpose. I want to be on point. I want to be engaged in the mission he's called me to be in. And if I'm wandering off in my own self-righteousness or my own sin and struggles, I'm, I'm kind of pulling myself out on the sidelines and just letting it go on beyond. And then the people that are around me that God has placed in my, my family and my friends and my, my, the individuals that, that live around me in my house and all those people that, that are around me with absolutely no hope, I'm not the beacon of light that Jesus calls me to be. And if I believe Jesus is coming back and Lord, please come tomorrow, I want to see everyone I know surrender to Jesus today so that tomorrow he's here, whatever that may look like. Maybe trials, who knows? Scary stuff, right? But ultimately we can take heart and peace in knowing that God is in control. His timing is perfect. When it happens, it was exactly when it was supposed to happen. We can take peace in that. So my, my, my push to you and push to myself this week is, where am I being led astray? Where is God calling? No, 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 Brent. Oh, you, you're, you're trying so hard. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you there, buddy, but come on, let it go. Let it go. It, it's time to start walking this way. I've created you to walk this way. I've given you the spirit to lead you in this way. Follow his leading but don't be led astray. Father, there are um, many people in this room that have surrendered their lives to you, said you are Lord of their life, you are, you are their Savior, you are God, and um, are just walking in light of that. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful thing, God. I pray that you would encourage them, strengthen them, admonish them, Lord. Give them the, the, the peace to knowing that, that this walk, this, this area, this stage of life is, is a gift. It's a grace from you, God. And God, for those in the room that have maybe been surrendered to you for a long time, but they are just uh, beaten up. Um, they, they are wandering right now, God. Would you give them the grace to know that they haven't wandered too far? Would you give them the, the grace to know that they don't need to be led astray because your spirit is stronger than anything that can be brought at you or brought at this? We have nothing to fear in this world, God. You are, all power and dominion is under God's hand and we can, we can take heart in knowing that anything that comes, comes after passing through you, Lord. Take peace in knowing that sometimes the heart is where you're gonna sanctify us, God. And for those in the room that, um, that have just kind of been doing the church thing, maybe one church to the next church or one group to the next group or one thing to the next thing and they just kind of like the idea of being around it but just love the idea of their life way more. God, I just pray that you'd wreak havoc on their hearts. I pray that you'd break in in a way that only you can do and you'd, 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 you'd saturate them with your ever-present, loving, gracious arm and let them know that you are, you are there, that they haven't gone too far that you're in place. And God, as we continue to study what it means for you to come back, I pray, come back. Come back today. I'm tired of pink eye in my house. I just want you to redeem that. God, I just praise you for, for the reminders that, that, that you haven't finished what you started and the faith to know that you will. We thank you for all you're doing in our life, God. We thank you for giving us a way so that we don't have to be led astray. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.